You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. So tonight I kind of want to break it down. I want to pull out some of these scriptures and talk about what love looks like in the church family context. And you'd be surprised because the world is always piping off about love, always piping off about what they think love is, but half the time they miss it. God is love and God has the true revelation and understanding of what love is. So we're going to go ahead and read it together. I have mixed together two different versions in order to tell this story. So it's kind of like the Leanne version, but I think this tells it best. I'm not sure if I gave the guys up the back enough time to blend it properly, but we'll see. I think it's going to come up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 7 says this. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything as plain as day, and I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. There we go. It says, hang on, did we miss a part? Yeah, we did. All right. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, imagine that, quite passionate, but I don't love, I've got nowhere. Can you imagine, friends, giving everything away, being so charitable and so benevolent that you give away everything you own and so passionate about Jesus, about the church, about the gospel, that you burned at the stake, you're burned as a martyr, but you don't love, the Bible says you've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Then it tells us what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. I think that's a good point for all the wives to nudge their husbands. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's a good point for all the husbands to nudge their wives. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, and always perseveres. So today I want to talk about what love looks like in the church context because if the world is looking at us and determining what the character of our Father is by the way we treat each other, we got to kind of get this church relationship thing right. And I don't know if you've looked around at the world, but it seems to me that the church is... Uh, just as guilty of operating in all kinds of divisions and all kinds of fractions and all kinds of disunity. And we've, got to, we've actually got to get really good at this thing called living together and loving each other well. So we're going to break it down. It's going to be a bit of teaching tonight, but I'm going to pray for people. And I believe that God is going to speak to you tonight. I believe that the Lord has something he wants to say to you. So I want you to lean in and engage. If you've got your arms crossed, uncross them. I know I'm a woman but you can hear what I have to say today because I believe that the Lord has given me a word to speak to you. The first thing the Bible says is love is patient. You know what I think one of the hardest things is 
about being part of a church family, having to grow up in front of the church. Oh, my gosh. It's, like, mortifying to actually have to be, allow the Lord to be the potter on your proverbial clay in front of other people. I mean, I remember when I first became a Christian and I pretty much became a Christian, got married and went into ministry all in the same breath. And so I was officially a pastor by title in South Auckland, and, but still getting my stuff together. And man, I tell you what, I am so grateful that I had pastors who did not put a demand on me to be perfect immediately. And in God's house, we're going to have to be really patient with people as they go on their journey with God. You know, sometimes I think in church we can be really judgmental. But here's the thing about us humans. We don't have the ability like God has to see everybody's backstory. So we may have people coming in from all different walks of life, with all different backgrounds, with all different issues, and we're going to see them in various degrees and stages of being put together into that vessel that the potter is making and they may walk around a little bit misshapen and here we are judging the fact that they don't quite yet look like the vessel that we know they can be but maybe just maybe the potter's got his thumb in a place and before they get to looking like that beautiful vessel that goes ahead and fulfills a great purpose in the earth, they're going to look a little bit misshapen, just like you and I were at one stage. When I look at people in the church and, hey, they may not be where they need to be, I just go, where was I at the same age and the same stage? What did I look like? Because I've got to tell you, if you met me, my 17-year-old self, I would be the last person in the world that you would want to fly over to speak into the lives of your women. I'm just telling you, you know, I put it this way. Listen, every woman is at least 10% psycho, okay? So I, I do, I do, I'm getting amens. I'm getting amens from the men, all right? And so just to settle that down, every man is at least 10% jerk, okay? That's, that's how we roll, all right? That's how the, the cookie crumbles. But I remember, man, I... Living in Wattle Downs, in our miracle house, working hard for the ministry six days a week, you know, barely staying saved, keeping my sanity together, a young mum. My husband had one day off a week and he had the audacity on the one day that he had off a week to want to go surfing. And I wanted him to stay home with me and watch reruns of my favourite chick flick and talk about our feelings. Like, that to me was the perfect night. And he said, no, woman, I'm going surfing. I'm like, no, you're not. You're staying home. So I can complain at you how we never get to spend any time together while we're spending time together. And so he's like, no, I'm going for a surf. And he got his surfboard and he pulled it out and he put it on the grass while he was getting the little roof rack sorted out. And I saw this as my opportunity. I flipped that surfboard over and I stood on it and I put my foot precariously near the surfboard fin and I said, you know what, babe? Are you sure you're going to go for a surf? And he looked at me with his lip quivering and he said, I'm going surfing. I said, really? He said, yes. I got my foot and went slam and busted that thing out. 
Then he started chasing me around the neighborhood, running into, and I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? What is he gonna do when he catches me? And then I ran in and locked the door, and, and I remember going to church on that Sunday and leading the youth ministry. And I'm like, dear God, what is wrong with me? I am so grateful for not only the patience of my God, but the patience of my church. Sometimes all that glitters is not gold. Let me just tell you that. But I thank God that he didn't give up on me and I had leaders that didn't give up on me. And I pray that we can build the kind of church where reformed lunatics can find a home and actually still be formed and, and crafted into that vessel that God has called them to be. It's a tough thing growing up in front of the church and life's hard enough without being judged by the, the people or the family that God's called you to be part of. The Bible says that love is patient. Want me to tell you another cool South Auckland story? I have so many. I may have told this last time I was here, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So we were having revival in South Auckland, absolute revival, and a lot of gang members were getting saved. And uh, we had a guy that got saved from, I believe it was the mongrel mob. And he brought himself and his family, his de facto wife, his four daughters. He had a radical encounter with God. I'll never forget the day he got saved, powerfully saved. This big man, tattoos all over his face, all in leather, just bawling on the altar. And uh, we prayed for him. He got delivered from a whole bunch of demons. It was very powerful. And uh, he, he was so on fire for God, he wanted to serve straight away. And because we were a very needy church, we made him like head usher after about four weeks. <laughs> and so this one particular Sunday, um, because we had a whole lot of gang members getting saved, we had uh, a guy busting through the double doors at the back, just like these doors. He busted in and he started running toward our pastor as he was preaching and giving the message and kind of yelling expletives and cursing and, you know, just threatening and... And then Lucky, like every good usher, looks around and it's like his eyes just come alive. And that old man is maybe not as dead as we thought it was. And so like, like every good usher, he was like, uh, you know, this is their moment. Because you just got to know that every usher is just waiting for somebody to act out so they can take him down, all right? So, so Lucky is this person. And he's watching as this guy comes out and he runs. I mean, he runs at warp speed and he grabs this guy around the head before he can get to our pastor. And he runs him down the aisle and uses his head as a battering ram to push open the back doors. And so at this point, what is happening with, with Lucky and the guy that he has in a headlock is far more interesting than anything that's happening in church. So we all run outside to see what will happen next. <laughs> So, I mean, that's what happens when you have church in the Coliseum nightclub. It's bound to get rowdy. So, so we're standing out the front and Lucky, we come out, Lucky has this guy in a headlock and he's repeatedly punching him in the stomach and all he's saying is, stop disrespecting the effing pasta. <laughs> I'm like, praise God for a church that can have a Lucky and is okay with it. Now, I don't think he's beating people up anymore, but I thank God that we can create a culture that is not so judgmental and not so religious and not so narrow that we can't have the broken world come in and have 
time and patience from the community of believers who, to become who God's called them to be because love is patient. Can somebody say amen, amen? Love is kind. Oh, and this is an, an important one because the Bible actually tells us that, it's, that God draws us by his loving kindness. People aren't drawn by fear. They're not drawn by religion. They're not saved by any of those things. They're actually saved when they come to a saving knowledge of the fact that there is a Father in heaven who loves them dearly. And it's the goodness or the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And so I think there is no better way that we can communicate the love of the Father than when we're kind. I remember arriving in America, gosh, it was almost 14 years ago now, and my husband was out of town. And I decided that I was going to travel to a church that was about an hour and a half away just to check out how people did church in the USA before my husband and I started our church there. And I got my kids in the car, my three kids, my three little boys in the minivan, and I drove on what felt like the wrong side of the road uh, for about an hour and a half with them scratching and screaming and screeching and fighting all the way. And I barely get there without killing myself or others at my wit's end, find a parking space and walk in. And I felt like I had a kid hanging off every limb. I'm alone, I'm frazzled, I'm tired. I just want to sit down and go to church. And I met at the door by a woman with an usher badge. And she looks at me with a crossed arms and she goes, you can't bring those kids in the auditorium. And for the life of me, I I don't understand why you want to be a greeter if you hate people. If, if you have the personality of a viper, perhaps you shouldn't be an usher. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to cry. I think I'm going to cry. I'm stressed. I'm a foreigner in a strange land. I think I want to murder my children. And now they won't even let me into church. And I'll never forget how that felt. And even though I was up there trying to experience church, I wanted to check it out. It was such a reminder to me of that saying that many of us have heard. Be kind to everyone you meet because everyone you meet is fighting a really hard battle. You know, there are going to be people that come into this building and we're not going to be able to see on the inside of them to see that maybe they're walking through a divorce. Maybe they've been through a really hard time. Maybe they're going through a lawsuit. Maybe they just lost the love of their life. Maybe there is some kind of crisis that we cannot read on the outside, and when we lack discernment and aren't kind as believers, we really damage the very people that God is asking us to restore and bring health to. I pray that we would have eyes to see. In my church, I teach our congregation to look at every environment, atmosphere, meeting with the eyes of a shepherd. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says that the good shepherd will leave the 99 to go after the one which tells me that that shepherd, that person has the kind of eye that can see who's missing. Can you imagine looking at a crowd of 99 or or, or what should be 100 and noticing that one's missing? Because there's not a whole lot of difference between 99 and 100. Most of us would be like, yep, looks good, carry on. But a kind person actually sees what everybody else misses. And I love that about Jesus because he exemplifies that so perfectly. We see that one time he was walking along and he noticed a guy, Zacchaeus, up a tree. Zacchaeus was an outcast. He was a short man. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. 
He was a tax collector. He was a bit of a misfit. Everyone was crowding around Jesus, wanting a piece of him, but because he operated in just this incredible kindness that oozed out of him, the Bible says that he stopped and he looked up and he said, Ah, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to come to your house for dinner. Jesus invited himself round for a meal. And the Bible says that as a result of that, Zacchaeus' entire household was saved. I'm telling you, the greatest collateral you and I have as God's kids is kindness. Oh my gosh, when you can be kind in a world that is mean and wants to stab God in the heart every day, I'm telling you that is something that will speak a language greater than any word, any message, any fire and brimstone preach that you can imagine. Can we be people that notice what other people don't notice? Love is kind. The third thing the Bible says is that love is not self-seeking. And you saw a little clip of me talking about this at the women's conference, and I'm sorry, I look so intense. I always think I look so nice and kind because that's how I feel. But I'm sorry, I look mean in that. I need to be careful of my facial expressions. Love is not self-seeking. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever lays down their life for me will find it. You know what I've found? That in Jesus, you always, listen to me, you always get more life back than what you lay down. As a young girl, I surrendered my life to him and I I gave my heart to him as dysfunctional as I was at that moment. And, you know, I said, I'm going to serve you with my whole life. And one of my concerns today is that we have a little bit of a misappropriation of what being a disciple or being a minister is. At its very core, it's serving others. It's putting others first. I loved reading the story about a guy by the name of William Booth. He was the founder of the Salvation Army movement. And he had a whole bunch of his disciples around the world that were looking to him for direction. And they said, William Booth, we need a message title and theme we need, to give you, we need you to give us a thorough description of what you want us to preach this Christmas. And because at that time, communication was expensive from afar and all these things were done via telegram and you had to pay not only for every word, but every letter, uh, William Booth had to reduce the entire message down to one word. Do you know what that word was? Somebody say it loud. No, others. <laughs> it was others. Good try, though. You get a partial credit. Others. And I love this. Love is not self-seeking. Love is others-focused. The Bible says, prefer one another over yourself. I got a great story about a young guy who was in our youth ministry when we were here in South Auckland, and I think it epitomizes what unself-seeking love looks like. We had a young boy call up our church on a... I guess it was like a Friday night. And he called and he said, I I really want someone to come pick me up to bring me to youth group, eh? And, um, and, but he was the problem. He lived in Tuakau, which was about from South Auckland where where we were about 40 minutes or so. It was a 40 minute drive. And our youth leader at the time, our assistant youth leader, said, look, we got this message. This kid lives out in Tuakau. What what do you think I should do, Pastor Jürgen? And uh, Jürgen said to him, well, Brett, what do you think you should do? 
And he goes, well, I think I should go get him. So he drove the 40 minutes to bring up this kid, came from a pretty dysfunctional home, didn't have a church background, but was eager to be part of what we were doing in our youth ministry on a Saturday night. Brett drove the 40 minutes, picked him up, brought him to youth ministry 40 minutes back. After youth, drove another 40 minutes, took him home, and then drove another 40 minutes to take him to, to get back to his house. During the course of that, at that night, we had a revival rally, and this young boy that had never heard the gospel, that had came from a single-parent home that was very much an at-risk youth, gave his life to Jesus, gave his life to the Lord. And that's the powerful part, but the even more powerful part is the following day, on his way to football, he was struck by a car and killed. Man, we never know what is on the other side of our selfless actions. You know, my gosh, when I think about the world we live in, how much we need a revival of people that are not self-seeking. Ministry is not preaching. Ministry is loving people. Jesus gave us the most beautiful example just before he went to the cross. The Bible says that he was at a dinner and all of a sudden he just gets up and he wraps a towel around his body, he takes off his shoes, he grabs a basin and he starts washing people's feet. And Peter was indignant. And I love Peter because he always got it wrong before he got it right, which really gives me a lot of hope for myself. And, and Peter is freaking out. He's like, no, Lord, you will not wash my feet. That ain't happening. And uh, Jesus is like, Peter, do you still not get it? Do you not understand that if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part with me? What I'm doing right now, I want you to go do likewise. Peter, you think ministry is mountaintop moments with Elijah and Moses. It's not. It's this. The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, our ultimate example of selfless love. God come down from heaven to earth, wrapped in the skin of man to experience what we experienced, to feel the pain and the suffering that we felt, to live where we lived, who became a servant of all, the King of kings, the darling of heaven, come down to earth to make it so he became a servant of all mankind and laid down his life so we can live. Those who cling to their lives, the Bible says, will lose it. But those who lay down their lives willingly will find it. I'm telling you, I've got zero regrets of surrendering my life to Jesus, giving it totally to Him. I'm a dead woman walking, and I'm better for it. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. I'm telling you, that's how we show a broken world the love of the Father. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It's not easily sens- uh, overly sensitive. It's not triggered. It's not easily offended. And you're going to find that in this church life, you're going to be around some really annoying people. And the truth is, most people are annoying. And if you don't think you're annoying, your lack of self-awareness is probably your most annoying quality, okay? <laughs> and I think God made it so. The Bible says, iron sharpens iron. And, and, and what, what does that infer? That infers that there's going to be some sparks. And I'm telling you, there aren't enough churches in New Zealand or cell groups or Bible studies in New Zealand to contain you if you are an easily angered or an easily offendable person. You've got to get a little bit more robust. 
Come on, you're stronger than that. You're not a lightweight. You're not a snowflake. You don't melt at the slightest temperature rise. You can handle it. You're tough. You can forgive. You can let go. I remember walking through a metal detector once at the airport and, uh, and I would, had no metal on me as far as I knew. And I walked through this thing and this alarm, this shrieking alarm goes off. And it worked out I had a tiny coin in my back pocket that I forgot about. And the, the woman who was controlling the machine came over and she said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. The machine is just so overly sensitive. I thought, I know a lot of humans like that. <laughs> the tiniest little coin sends off the largest shrieking alarm. Code red. We've got to be made of sterner stuff if we're going to arrive, uh, uh, if we're going to survive in God's house around other humans. I mean, it'd be great if we didn't have to live with other people. But God's populated this planet with over 7 billion of them. So we're actually going to have to get very good at living with others. Even the pastor sometimes is going to get it wrong. I mean, I know it's hard to believe with all the fabulous ones you have here on the front row, but trust me, in other parts of the world, it's a struggle. <laughs> I look at the story of Hannah, and I think we can take her example that we actually have to love the community of believers more than we love being mad at people. Can you love the church more than you love being right? Can you love the church more than you love being offended? I love the story of Hannah because the actual pastor offended her. She turns up to church doing the right thing at the right time. She is crying out to God for a baby. God, give me a baby. I want a baby. She's doing the right thing at the right time. She's praying to God. She's crying out. And Eli, the priest, the Bible says, waddles over because he's a fat man. And he looks at her and he goes, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you, woman. Now, could you imagine if that happened to somebody in the millennial generation? There would, I mean, no time would pass before their fingers were typing the Google review. Well, I never. I am never going back to that life church. Let me tell you right now, I think I'm going to become a Hare Krishna. But I love Hannah's response because the Bible says, she said to him, oh no, my Lord, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken till now. My gosh, her response was gracious. And because she didn't allow her offences and her oversensitivity to walk her out of the church, she received an amen to her prayers. We don't understand the collateral damage that our oversensitivity and our easily angered personality actually takes and sabotages on our own lives. Because she hung in there after she was offended, she got the amen to her prayers and she gave birth to the prophet Samuel, the anointer of kings. Hang in there, friends. Love is not easily angered. Love isn't triggered. Love isn't touchy. The emoji world has lied to us. Love is not the pink love heart emoji. It's the flexed muscle emoji. Love is robust. Love is weatherproof. You're going to get through it. Somebody say amen. 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 I'm going to skip a few because I'm running out of time. 
Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. And I love this because sometimes we think that love is permissive and love is tolerant and love tolerates anything because you know what? Love doesn't want to offend and love doesn't tell people what time it is because love is gentle. You know what? Sometimes love is corrective. The Bible actually tells us in the book of Proverbs, whoever disciplines his son, whoever does not discipline his son, hates him. Wow. The Bible isn't subtle. But those who love their children, somebody say love their children, care enough to discipline them. I love the Apostle Paul because he was not only a loving, present leader, he was not afraid of confronting behaviour that was destroying people's lives. And many of us have believed the lie that the church should be full of people that, you know, just, just, you know, just want to be your non-judgmental friend. Because I don't care about how you live. Even if it's sending you in a direction that's going to train wreck your life, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to be accused of being judgmental. Because having people like me is my greatest value. No, love confronts. Love says, do not go down the broad path that leads to destruction. There is a better way. The Bible says narrow is the pathway to life and those who follow it will lead to the life everlasting. Don't go down the broad path that leads to destruction. We gotta get rid of that attitude in the church that love is permissive. It just tolerates anything it doesn't. Do you know why? Because the Bible says the wages of sin are death. And we have to have a really good understanding that the Bible says that through mercy and truth, atonement is made for iniquity. It's not just love that is all merciful with no truth. Listen, truth without love is harsh, but love without truth is a lie. We have to get really good at mixing the right cocktail. God's going to make us really, really good bartenders. We've got to be good bartenders in this world because the world has been so truth-starved, they can't take real truth all at once. It'll burn their throat. It's got like a skull and crossbones on it, okay? So we have to get really good at becoming great mixologists. So we've got to get a little bit of mercy and a little bit of truth and put them together and we've got to hand it to the person and go, there you go, that's going to make you better. Just like Mary Poppins, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in the most delightful way. That's exactly what we got to be to this world. Because the Bible says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so if we really want people to live in freedom, then we can't be afraid of confronting evil. The destructions and the patterns that are leaving them in bondage. It's just, it's not right. It's not cool. It's not okay. It's not Jesus. It's not love that is permissive. It's, it's bringing truth that is born out of the womb of love. Jesus, our ultimate example, again, just so beautiful. He encounters a woman caught in adultery and the crowd around her are baying for blood. And I love Jesus because he never looks at the behaviour. He looks at the why. He doesn't judge the behaviour. He's like, I, I'm not so much interested in what you're doing, but why you're doing it. So Jesus looks beyond, he looks beyond the crowd, he looks beyond the symptom and he probably looks back and sees 
a little girl, three years of age, who's crying in a corner because her daddy left and her, her mother is now bringing in lover after lover after lover and then she's sexually abused and then she's a teenager and she's passed from one man to the next and before you know it, she's in promiscuous, illicit relationship and then she ends up at the feet of a man with crowds surrounding her with stones in their hand. And the Bible says that Jesus got down and He started to write. And He said, Those who are among you who have no sin, cast the first stone. And then one by one, they threw those stones down and they walked away. And the Bible says that getting down and looking at the woman, Jesus said, Who is left to condemn you? And she said, No one, sir. He said, Well, then I don't condemn you either. Love. But go and sin no more truth. Honey, your actions almost got you killed. You've got to follow the narrow path now because the broad path almost led you to destruction. There is unending mercy in our God, but He's always going to deliver us into truth because He cares about us. Jesus cares about how we live. Love cares about how we live because love cares about us. Can somebody say amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.